Mom life, it's worth celebrating. It's filled with opportunities to learn and grow, and we all know there will be little bumps along the way. But why not have fun and enjoy little moments as they come? I am passionate about finding ways to make the mundane feel more exciting and spontaneous. It's time we put a little more joy and happiness into our roles as wives, moms, and homemakers. I am excited for us to learn together how to add more meaning and purpose into our lives through the big five, physical, mental, social, emotional, and spiritual avenues. In a way, you could say, let's high five motherhood. This is your host, Kim Montgomery, and you are listening to High Five Motherhood. Welcome back to another episode at High Five Motherhood. This is your host, Kim Montgomery, and today we're going to dive into five ways on how to ignite your spiritual momentum. Let's dive right in. All right, I am so excited about this episode today. So as you know, I am Christian, and I love to share about my beliefs and faith and values, and I love to hear about yours as well. So today, I kind of wanted to dive right in and share some of my favorite takeaways from our recent um, April 2021 LDS General Conference. Um, It's something that we have twice a year, so biannually, and it goes for two days. It's two hours in the morning on Saturday, two hours in the afternoon with a two-hour break in between, and then the same thing on Sunday. And then in the springtime, there's an evening session for just the women so we can have our fun little girls' night out, which we just did. And then in the fall, there's a two-hour session for the men. So it's just kind of a fun thing that we get to look forward to, a way to just kind of ignite our spiritual momentum and gather together with a bunch of um, wonderful Christians. You know, it's just a good faith-based um, conference and it's free. It's broadcast worldwide. So, I mean, it's all over the world. How neat is that, that we can just sit in the luxury of our own home and enjoy listening to God's word. It's amazing. So um, the best part about these takeaways today that I'm going to be giving you are that they can be applied to your life, regardless of your religious or spiritual background. It doesn't matter where you come from, okay? It doesn't matter if you're Baptist or LDS or if you're Lutheran or Catholic or whatever, right? It's it's just Christian-based, okay? So you don't even have to be Christian specifically to watch it. It can just be something that can ignite your spiritual flame and just uplift you and inspire you, and you can take what you want from it, you know? So I said there is five ways that we are going to ignite our spiritual momentum. These are the takeaways that I got from um, Russell M. Nelson in this 2021 LDS General Conference. Okay, so the first one is commit to following the Savior and stay there. Okay, so this is a way for us to try to strive to strengthen our home and family. Okay, to build up our spouse, our children, ourselves, and then create more joy in our marriage and our families. Find ways to bring that joy back, okay? Um, This is a way we can focus on, you know, maybe attending worship. If you haven't attended worship services in a long time, whatever church you go to, um, maybe this is a time for you to reignite that spiritual flame and say, you know what? I really miss going to worship services. I miss going once a week and seeing... Um, the people of my faith and worshiping and singing hymns and praising God. I miss that, you know? And so that's, this is kind of a little hunch hunch. Let's get back and let's go enjoy time with people that we love and build that faith-based community that is so 
so much needed right now, especially in how crazy the days are that we are in right now. We need community to help us through this, right? We need God. We need religion. We need our family and our marriages to be doing well, right? Okay, so this is a quote that I love that kind of goes along with this is, press forward with a steadfastness in Christ, having a perfect brightness of hope and a love of God and an all, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm messing this up. Press forward with a steadfastness in Christ, having a perfect brightness of hope and a love of God and of all men. I love that quote because it's, it just kind of, I don't know, I feel like a lot of these different things that we're talking about today, it's, they're inspiring, they're uplifting, and we don't get a lot of that these days, right? There's a lot of things that are, they're fear-based. They're trying to get us to worry and to divide ourselves from others, to do what we can to see each other's differences. But the thing I love about General Conference is it brings everyone together. Again, regardless of what your religion is, it brings all of us together and finds, it helps the, those that speak help us find ways of bringing that togetherness all to one place and helping all of us to see what it is that we agree on rather than everything that we disagree on because we're all going to think differently, right? But if we can come together and find out what are the things that we agree on that we we all want to do and be better, that's what it's all about. It's all about finding the same the similarities between others to create that community. I loved how D. Todd Christofferson puts it. He says, our overarching covenant commitment is to do God's will and to be obedient to his commandments and all things that he shall command us. Okay, that's what following the Savior is all about. It's a commitment. It's a commitment to be obedient to the commandments that he's been given us. Okay, so this this talks about a covenant commitment. Now, not all of us are LDS, and so not all of us have made those temple covenants, which if you want to look into that, you can go to LDS.org and you can look up um, temples and the covenants and ordinances that are made therein. But for all those who are Christian-based, this is a commitment for you to strive to be and do better, to strive to be more Christ-like, to strive to follow the Savior and and believe in God and try to have him as more like a have him become a more prevalent part of your life. Go to him in prayer more often. Read your scriptures, whether that be the Bible or Book of Mormon or whatever it is that you read that is, you know, your scriptures that you go to. Study them and take time to spend time with God's word, right? Okay, number two, repent daily, okay? And experience the joy that comes with it. This is one thing that I feel we miss or maybe have been mistaught growing up. I remember feeling like, you know, yes, we can repent. Yes, it's a good thing and everything, but it means that you sinned. And so it's not really good because that means that you're a sinner and you did some bad things. And so you have to repent. So it was kind of like a, you almost felt like it was voodoo or it was bad to, you know, have to repent because that means you did something bad. Well, as I grow and I'm learning in all things spiritual and stuff, no, I'm not perfect. No, I don't know everything spiritually or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that I'm learning and I'm understanding more of what it means and how repentance can be a really joyful thing. It's meant to be joyful. It's a 
it's a gift that God has given us. When he atoned for our sins and he died on the cross for us, he did that so that we have the opportunity to repent and to come unto him and lay down our burdens. And he would help lift us up and he would help heal these burdens that we carry and help us to move forward with a clean slate. So something that I just, I want to pound in everyone's brains is newsflash. No one is perfect on this earth, okay? I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. Our kids aren't. Our spouse isn't. No one is perfect. We are all human beings and human beings are going to sin. They are going to make mistakes because we are not perfect individuals. We're just not. And that's okay. But we are striving for perfection. We are not expecting perfection. We are not going to be perfect in this life, but we can strive for it and do our best to be the best that we can be. It's important for us to change our mindset from repentance is only for those who are terrible sinners, the ones that really make the big mistakes as if it's like voodoo or bad, like I talked about. But repentance is beautiful. And I think we need to really remember that and and teach our children that that it's a beautiful thing it's a good thing and it's not it's not bad it's not something to shun or push away because we don't want to sin we want to explain it as it's beautiful it's wonderful it's something that we are gifted and it's something that can help us to do and be better and become better because of the repentance process it's how it's how god can work miracles in our lives it's a way for us to stay humble and yet joyful, yes, <laughs> repentance, daily repentance for our wrongdoings, no matter how small they may be, can not only help us cultivate more joy in our lives, but it's one of the keys that ignites our spiritual momentum, guys. Remember that repentance is a gift, okay? A gift we must always cherish for it truly can and will bless our lives and the lives of our family members and our friends. It will bless everyone if we let it. Side note real quick. I would love to hear your input and your um, thoughts and ideas on this whole um, episode. And so if you want to drop those in the comments as posts and um, reels and videos and different things go on Instagram and Facebook, get in that group, get in that mama's group and just kind of share your ideas and thoughts and and let's get a, a chain of comments going so we can kind of talk through this and and see what we can learn from it together. It's fun to see where everyone's coming from and what they feel, what they believe, you know, what their faith is. It's just, it's inspiring. It's wonderful. So go ahead and check that out before the next episode if you can. <laughs> okay, number three, learn about God and how he works. So every single day, make time to study his word. Okay. It's, there's never going to be a perfect moment where everything just fits together. The stars align and you get to have a beautiful scripture study by yourself for as long as you want uninterrupted and it's silent and beautiful. That's a rare occasion as a mom, right? It doesn't happen all the time. So if we're counting on that happening in order to get revelation, in order to feel spiritual, in order to study your scriptures or pray or anything, we're never going to really make time for it because it's not always going to happen. So regardless of if it's perfect or imperfect, regardless of if it's interrupted or uninterrupted, regardless of time, regardless of whatever, okay, every excuse in the book will keep us from doing things just like we have every excuse in the book, you know, if we're going to the gym, well, well, I didn't get enough sleep, so I'm tired, or I kind of 
don't feel the best or my kid is having a rough day and I have to potty train or like there's always excuses of why we don't do things. But the reality reality is if you love it enough and have a desire enough to do something, you will find every excuse in the book to go to it, to go do it rather than to not do it. So focus on finding excuses to do it, to spend time with God to learn about how he works, to study his word, all those things rather than the opposite, okay? Take time out for scripture study. Do all that you can to learn about God, how he works, what his character is like, and do all that you can to develop all of the wonderful and positive attributes he possesses. Commit to becoming more like God. Although we are not going to reach perfection in this life, It is so important that we always strive for it, strive to do and be our best. Okay. And I, I hope that you know that I am not coming from the perspective of, I feel that I am perfect. I am teaching you this because I got this down and I know what I'm doing. That's not at all why I'm teaching this. I'm teaching this because these are some takeaways that I got, some things that I feel I need to work on from conference and they inspired me and make me want to have a desire to do and be better. And so I'm sharing things with you that I feel I can work on myself. And so I hope, you know, I'm not coming from a standpoint of feeling like I'm perfect and I know everything and I want to tell you what to do. Rather, I'm coming from a standpoint of I don't know everything. I don't know exactly what I'm doing and I need to learn more and I want to learn with you and I want to grow with you and I want to do and be better. And I hope that that's how it's coming across. (laughs) Anyways, okay. Number four, seek and expect tender mercies or, in other words, modern day miracles. Wow, that's hard to say. (laughs) Modern day miracles, okay? Seek and expect and recognize modern day miracles. So what is a miracle after all? Okay, what does that even mean? Dallin H. Oaks taught a miracle has been defined as a beneficial event brought about through divine power that mortals do not understand and of them and of themselves cannot duplicate. Okay, so this makes me think of I don't know if you've seen um, the Prince of Egypt. Okay, this is kind of I think it's Disney or DreamWorks or something. I can't remember who put it out or whatever, but it's their take on pretty much the life of of. Um, Oh my gosh. I can't think of his name. (laughs) Moses. Moses, right? So he, so it makes me think of the Prince of Egypt and you know how it's, it's talking about Moses and everything. And it talks about this or it shows, I guess, portrays this part of Moses's life where he is next to the water and, um, he, puts his staff in the water and turns the water to blood, right? And goes blood red. And then there's two men um, that try to duplicate the miracles that he was doing. And so they do this potion or whatever, and then they throw it in the water and it turns everything red. And it was interesting because there were so many things they tried to duplicate. And in a sense, it was kind of like, you know, an eye, a trick of the eye, you know, like magic and things like that, but it wasn't an actual miracle. Okay. So even though they showed these different things of what they did or whatever, it was not the same as what Moses was doing. It could not be duplicated because it was not of God. 
Um, so I think of that when I think of miracles. I think of, you know, how, how Moses was able to part the Red Sea. What a miracle. I mean, that's incredible. And the thing that's the coolest part about that is that didn't just happen in those days. That can happen right now. Okay. That can happen in all the little things that we go through throughout our day. Sometimes it's small things. Sometimes it's big things. Okay. So, so if that is a miracle, if that's the, you know, definition of a miracle, then what is a tender mercy? And, you know, what's the difference between the two? Well, David A. Bednar defined a tender mercy this way. He says, the Lord's tender mercies are the very personal and individualized blessings, strength, protection, assurances, guidance, loving kindness, consolation, support, and spiritual gifts, which we receive from and because of and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Interesting, right? To me, it sounds like you know, a miracle and a tender mercy are kind of one in the same. Now think about this. Is it just luck or is it just coincidence that Moses was able to part the Red Sea, that he was able to turn the water to blood, you know, that he was able to, um, I'm trying to think if he, just different, I, I can't even think of everything right now, but you get the point. Like, were those just lucky breaks? Was it just luck? Was it just coincidence? Was it a tender mercy? Was it a miracle? What do you think it was? Okay. Keep these definitions in the back of your mind and think about, you know, luck and coincidence as well. And I want to tell you a little, a little story, a little thing that happened growing up. Okay. So my, my sister was in um, a motorcycle accident when she was, I don't know, like college age or something, right? She was going on the freeway and I can't remember exactly what happened, but it was rainy and it was wet and there was a car that came behind them and I think it it rear-ended them somehow. I can't exactly remember the details of it, but whatever it was, the car, I think, rear-ended them and they flew off the motorcycle, her and, and her... Um, date at the time. And they both flew off the motorcycle, you know, with oncoming traffic coming. And he tuck and he knew that he needed to tuck and roll. So he tuck and rolled and he kind of, you know, went to the side and was okay. He, he kind of blew out his knee, but he was doing okay. Um, and then my sister, she didn't, I don't think she knew to tuck and roll or whatever. So she just kind of like hit and skid in a sense. And her initial hit, her helmet, protected her head because it was still on her. And then after that first hit, the helmet popped off, popped off. And then she, you know, got road rash and got hurt pretty bad. Well, come to find out somehow he was able to get her from the road to the median, the the middle area in between the freeways on going and oncoming traffic. And, um, it was rainy and it was wet and they were, I guess, whoever hit them just kind of hit and run and just kind of kept going. So, I don't know if they flagged down a vehicle or if they were able to call someone or how it ended up happening, but somehow they were able to get to the hospital and they were able to get some treatment. So, um, in a nutshell, she ended up having a hematoma on the lining of her brain and needed brain, brain surgery. And she had, um, pretty good road rash and 
different things that she was dealing with and he had blown out his knee. But other than that, he was doing pretty good. I think road rash wise, I don't think he had as crazy as she did because he was able to tuck and roll. Anyways, so they were in the hospital and she had to, you know, have this surgery and it was a pretty, I mean, it's a pretty scary surgery. It's kind of a life-threatening situation, you know, when you are thrown off the uh, motorcycle in the middle of the freeway and then you have to have brain surgery right after, like that's kind of a life or death situation. You may or may not make it. And it really put things into perspective for her and it was really scary and hard, Um but she made it out okay, and they were able to do the surgery, and everything turned out well, and she ended up getting married to this guy that she was on a date with, and I mean, the rest is history. They're they're married now with two kids, and life is good, and their, their kind of quota is, you know, because two people fell off a motorcycle, which is so fun, um, instead of like, because two people fell in love. So that is, for me, such a beautiful modern day miracle that she was able to survive that, that the doctors were guided and they knew how to take care of that very scary surgery that she had to deal with, um, that she wasn't hit on or hit anymore from the oncoming car. Somehow they were able to stop and not run over her and make things, you know, make matters even worse, if not kill her. I mean, there's so many different things that could have happened. You can say it's just coincidence. You can say it's just luck, but I believe that it was a tender mercy. And I believe that it was a miracle. And I feel like we have a lot more of those miracles and tender mercies that happen each day and, you know, throughout our lives. And a lot of times we just don't notice them. We just don't see them because we're not, we're not expecting them. We're not seeking them out. We're not trying to see what it is that, you know, has been happening, but they're there and we need to recognize them because we need to be grateful for, these gifts and these blessings and these tender mercies and miracles that God has given us. We truly are blessed. There are so many things that he does to um, divinely intervene in our lives for the better. I think one of the biggest takeaways about seeking and expecting miracles to happen is that we need to have faith and not fear. Right now, the world is just all over the place, right? And we have just been instilled with so much fear and worry and stress and frustration and anger and all these negative emotions that we're dealing with in the world right now. But we don't need fear to run our lives, regardless of if people are, you know, social media or media or whatever is trying to place and instill this fear in us. We don't have to fall prey to that. We don't. We can choose to focus on our faith. Faith over fear, right? Faith over fear is what's going to create those miracles in our lives. It's what's going to create the opportunity for us to be spiritually stronger, to ignite that spiritual momentum that we need so much in our lives right now with how crazy the world is. We've got to do what we can to stand up as Christians, as believers, as those with faith to bring more faith to this world. There's so much fear in this world. Let's be the ones to bring faith to light. Okay. Number five, last but not least, end personal conflicts in your life. Anyone who has been trapped in a vicious cycle of conflict knows the accompanying feeling of helplessness and hopelessness. And that is by C. Ross Clement. And that's a case study of conflict in marriage. There's six principles listed that can help resolve conflict in people's lives in general. This is specific to marriage in 
um, this, the case study that I was reading, but it also just kind of applies to every relationship, really. You can really use these tips between parent and child, between spouses, between um, friends, um, extended family members. Like you really can apply this to every relationship if if you try to, okay? So number one is to be teachable, okay? Quote, efforts to solve problems are unsuccessful when people refuse to be teachable or to change when change is necessary, okay? How often do we want to change the other person and say, you know, you really need to work on this and that and the other, and when you do that, then we definitely will have a good relationship. Well, that's not reality, we cannot change anyone. That's not our job, right? Our job is to change ourselves and to be better. But oh my goodness, how hard it is for us to do that. I have caught myself so many times when I expect my spouse to change or my kids to change to do better. And I pray for them to do better and to be better. But how often is it that I myself say, you know what? I need to change. I need to be better. I need to be the good example here. I don't need to wait for them to say sorry first. I can say sorry first. I can I can only control me and I need to do what I can to change myself to be the best person I can be regardless of if my spouse or children or friend or extended family or whatever change themselves. I can change me. That's what I can control, okay? We must be willing to share and learn from one another without the intent to influence or manipulate the other person into doing all the changing, right? We need to be willing to change ourselves. I love how it says that. It just says, you know, we need to share and learn from one another without the intent to influence or manipulate the other person. How often do we do that? A lot of times we try without, sometimes we don't even realize it really, but we try to manipulate people to thinking or doing a certain thing that we want them to do, you know, whatever it is. Not I'm not saying like, abuse, you know, I'm not I'm not talking about emotional abuse. That's that's a whole nother deal. But we just we tend to influence others to try to think the way that we want them to think or change the way that we want them to change, not even realizing it a lot of times. So pay attention when you are in, you know, a heated argument or discussion or debate or whatever. And and notice notice what you're doing. Notice your language. Notice your um, I don't mean like four-letter word language. I mean like notice the words that you say, how you're communicating, how you're coming across. If you feel like you are pushing them one direction or another, or if you feel like they are the ones that need to change and you don't need to do anything yourself, right? See what you can do to change you first and let God worry about the rest. Let him worry about helping them to change and to do and be better because that's not our job. Our job is not to force anyone to do anything Our job is to better ourselves and to inspire and uplift others to do better as well, but not manipulate or influence them in a wrong way. Okay, tip number two, pray for the Lord's help in learning to treat each other in Christ-like ways. In Doctrine and Covenants 121, 41 through 42, it states, quote, no power or influence can or ought to be maintained except by persuasion, by long-suffering, by gentleness and meekness, and by love unfeigned, by kindness and pure knowledge. We must strive to acquire these traits to help us build our character into that of a what? A peacemaker, okay? We need to be peacemakers in a world that is so crazy and so full of anger and hate right now. 
we need to be the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers that they may have joy. Okay. One who resolves not engages in conflict. Okay. A peacemaker is one who resolves. It is one that tries to solve or resolve the issue or the problem. They are problem solvers. They try to make things better, not worse. They try to invite the Holy Spirit. They try to bring peace to the situation rather than worrying about being right or, you know, winning, winning the fight or whatever it is. They want peace more than anything. That's what they want is peace. And that's what we should strive to have as well. We must pray for the Lord's help to end personal conflicts in our lives. If we choose to be the peacemakers, it'll be easier for us to have the spirit in our lives. It'll be easier for us to desire to pray to God and to ask for his help. When we have so much anger and contention and hate in our lives and in our hearts, it's very hard to find that desire to pray and to want to talk to God because we don't really feel good with who we are becoming. We don't, our hearts don't feel good. It, It doesn't feel right, you know? So I think, I think this is such a good takeaway for us to end those personal conflicts and then pray for the Lord's help in learning to treat each other in Christ-like ways. That's what the world needs right now. We need peacemakers. We need the golden rule. (laughs) You guys remember that from growing up? Do unto others as you would have others do unto you, right? That's what we need right now. We don't need hate and fighting and riots and all the craziness. We don't need that. We need peacemakers. And who does that start with? It starts with ourselves. We need to start with us. We need to change ourselves from within and then help uplift and inspire others to want to change. Not influencing them or manipulating them in any way for you know bad reasons, but to, to be as Christ-like as we can so that when people know us, as people get to know us, they want to know Christ because they know us. I love that quote. Someone told me that a while ago. I don't even know who said it, but I loved it. You know, do those who know you want to know Christ because they know you? I don't know. I love that quote. Such a great way to look at life. Man, I'm feeling a little bit parched. I had to get a sip of water. I've been going and starting to get a dry mouth. I'm talking so much. All right. Thank you for being patient and willing to listen to me talk so much. (laughs) I'm so grateful you are here today. It's so fun. Okay. Number three, seek to understand over being understood. How often do we seek the other person's approval of or or seek the other person understanding where we're coming from? Okay, okay. I see what you're doing, but I, I need you to understand what my perspective is. Look at it from my perspective. What do you think of this? You know, why do we always focus on us? Humans in general, we are kind of selfish people, right? And so we have to really go outside ourselves to realize, you know what? There's another perspective out there. There's a whole other way of looking at this situation that we hadn't even thought of or expected or whatever, right? A quote that comes to mind for this one is, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. We must try our best to first place ourselves in the other person's shoes 
from there, we can learn a lot from simply changing our perspective and seeing things from another point of view. Okay. So when we take off our blinders and we choose to have a perspective change and choose to place ourselves in the other person's shoes and really see things from their perspective, a whole new world opens up and it helps us to have more empathy or sympathy for the other person. It helps us to want to know where they're coming from because we're desiring to see their standpoint and not focusing so hard on expecting them to see ours without us even wanting to see theirs. How often in conversation do we focus on ourselves and our problems and what we're going through rather than asking questions to get to know the other person? You know, it can be a really selfish thing in a conversation where a lot of times it can be one-sided and one person is talking and talking and talking. And although it's all great things and the other person is interested, they lose interest real quickly when they are not feeling like they're being understood or cared for or that they're even important, right? So I think one of the biggest things that we can learn from this is to treat each other in Christ-like ways by trying to understand their perspective first before we have them learn our perspective, okay? That way you you are doing your best to understand where they're coming from and not instantly judging them or cutting them off because you want them to see where you're coming from, right? Okay, number four, fully share your view now of the problem in a kind and caring way. So not only is it important for us to seek to understand over being understood, but it's also important on the reverse for them to do the same for us where we fully share our view of the problem, but we do it in a kind and caring way. So that doesn't mean we're contentious. It doesn't mean we're fighting and debating and it's heated. No. When you seek to see the other person's perspective first before your own, they're more open and willing to see things from your perspective because they feel what? They feel that you know and care about them. You love them enough to want to know why they feel the way they feel, where they're coming from, right? So it's important to not just expect them to know where you're coming from because a lot of times they don't. They need that same perspective shift that you had to have. You had to see them in their shoes just like they need to see you in your shoes. Okay, so make sure that you don't expect them to just know where you're coming from. Sometimes, in fact, most often, if not always, we need to spell things out in a kind and caring way because a lot of times the other person may not really see things the way we're seeing them or may not even understand where we're coming from until we fully explain it in, again, a kind and caring way, okay? So first seek to understand their view, then open up fully to them and share your view. Okay, principle number four, sometimes to avoid facing the issues involved or to avoid personal responsibility, the individual may attack or blame the other person. How often do we do this to our children or our spouse or whomever, right? We avoid facing the actual issue on the table because we choose to attack or blame someone. We say, well, this happened because you did this or you did that or I don't like it when you did this or whatever. And we kind of attack them or we even blame them or assume that they're doing something that they may not have even meant to do. You know, maybe that wasn't even their intention and they're blown away because they can't believe that that's what you thought of them. 
But then because you've attacked them, now they are in defense mode. And then they put up that wall, that stone wall, and it blocks you from coming in or them from going out or anything. Like you, there's just no, no openness, no peace, no understanding or trying to understand because you've expected almost the worst out of them without realizing it. And then they put that defense wall up. They put that stone wall up and they don't want to talk. They don't want to go anywhere. And so I think it's so important for us to try really, really hard to not attack or blame the other person, but try to come from a peacemaker stance and try to be open-minded and not super opinionated. Even if you do have an opinion, first seek out their opinion. First seek out their perspective before coming and showing your own. And then when you do need to do your part of it, make sure that you fully explain it very clearly as as best you can, but do it in a kind and caring way so it doesn't become a point of feeling, they feel like they're attacked, right? You want them to feel like this is an open and honest conversation we can have together as two individuals who may see things from different perspectives, but we can find a way to come together and to be unified, even if we have differences of opinion. And this can go for, again, any relationship. It's so much easier said than done, though. I can tell you from experience I know different communication skills and I know things that I need to do, but when it comes to the conversation or the, you know, the moment of heat or heated conversation, a lot of times I fall prey to the things that I know I shouldn't do. I do, you know, you attack statements rather than I feel statements. So if you know anything about communication, you know that it is important to say, I feel like this and this is happening, or I feel, you know, unsafe because of this or whatever it is. I feel statements is better than saying, well, you did this, so you attacked me or, you know, just kind of that blame and shame game. We want to get away from those you statements and do more of I feel or I think or I would like or whatever it is, you know, and then doing it from a, again, peaceable stance. So that is something that I am trying really hard to work on because I am not the best at doing I statements. When I get really heated, sometimes I just go right into attacking with the you statements. And it's afterwards that I realize, okay, I shouldn't have done that. I need to repent and do and be better. Just like we had talked about repentance daily. It's so important. And I, I fall short of that. I am not perfect at that. I do not repent every single day and I need to be better at that. That is something that I can definitely work on. Okay. The Apostle Paul said, except ye utter by the tongue words easy to be understood, how shall it be known what is spoken? And that's 1 Corinthians 14 verse 9 in the King James Version of the Bible. I love how Paul put that, okay? Let let me read that one more time. Except ye utter by the tongue words easy to be understood, guys, easy. Say, Say it let it be easy. Okay. Say things in an easy way. It's easy for them to understand. How shall it be known what is spoken? In other words, if you're not saying it in a very simple and easy way, in a kind and loving way, how is your, not opponent, but how is your friend or family member, how are they going to know what you're saying if you don't say it and speak it clearly? And if you don't fully say it, 
fully open yourself up and be vulnerable and talk to them and let them know your feelings. Be open. Number five, seek shared understanding. So when in conversation with a friend or family member, neighbor, whatever, and one of you shares a problem with the other, the most typical response of the other person is to defend themselves, right? So feeling the need to justify their actions or to counterattack, which again is, in other words, blame or shame game, we don't we don't want to go there, right? We don't want to do the blame and shame game. We don't want them to defend themselves and kind of do that stonewalling act. Okay, friends and family who argue seldom listen to each other. Let me repeat that. Those who argue seldom listen to each other. That's one of the biggest faults I think we have in conversation as humans is we do the best we can to formulate a plan while the other person is talking to try to debate them or try to argue with them and and get your point across rather than listening to actually hear them out and seek out their perspective and put yourself in their shoes, right? So when, when one is talking, the other person is busy, so busy formulating their counter argument that they miss what the other person is trying to say. They miss validating the other person. They miss um, connecting with the other person and trying to see from their perspective, even if you completely disagree what the other person is doing and you don't like it. Maybe you haven't seen things from their perspective. Maybe you're focusing so much on what's going on with you and your problems that you're not willing to see things from their perspective. What if you don't have all the facts and all of the things together? Then again, what if you do? What if you know exactly what's going on with them in every shape and form and everything, but you're not really trying to see things from their perspective? You have all the information, but you're not feeling that sympathy or empathy towards them, right? You're most like at this point, we're more focused on what we are doing, what we are going through and how we need to be understood rather than understanding the other person. Okay. How often do we do this? I know I fall short and I do this so often. Like I, I have a really hard time with this a lot of times, you know, my spouse and I will be talking and he'll really want to have, you know, things a certain way. And he'll be talking about his perspective. And in my mind, I start, you know, sometimes I'll feel attacked on different things and I'll start formulating my battle plan on how to counteract what he's saying. And it just becomes this disagreement rather than a way where we can have it become a cohesive conversation where we can work together as a team and figure out the other person's perspective. On the contrary, I know when we've had those moments when we really do try to seek the other person's perspective and we actually do not only sit and hear them out, but we're listening with the the intent to understand, not with the intent to formulate a plan to argue, right? Formulating that counterpart. So instead of formulating that battle plan in the middle of the other person sharing their perspective, like we love to do as humans, instead, maybe try this, okay? Try saying, and again, really meaning it too, because fake is also not good. If you're doing all this, but with the wrong intent, that can also make things go south, okay? So try saying these things and really meaning it, saying these things like, quote, 
I'd like to make sure I understand what you're saying and then go on to say what it is that they had said and try to repeat that. Or, quote, let me see if I heard you right. And then again, repeat it in your own words what they said. Do your best to summarize what they said in your own words to help them feel not only understood, but validated in what they're feeling. Because if they don't feel validated and understood and safe in the conversation, they again will go to that stonewalling or to defense mode and trying to form that battle plan instead of really trying to find a way to come together and find that middle point where you guys work together as a team and you both give a little. You can also say things like, can you tell me more about what you're feeling? Okay. There's lots of ways that we can ask genuine questions of where you're wanting to understand where they're coming from. Okay. This sort of language exchanged back and forth helps each party to understand and appreciate the situation and viewpoint of the other, which is so important because when we're in conversation and we're only focusing on ourselves and what we want we're not truly having a conversation. We're talking at the person rather than talking with the person. This is one thing that I have found over time to be true, that no one wants to be talked at. They want to be talked with. They don't need you to tell them where they're doing bad or wrong or criticize them or you know, argue with them. They don't need that. What they need is love. They need to feel loved and valued validated in their feelings, understood. Okay. All of those things are good and it needs to happen in a peaceable way. Now, obviously we are all human. We are not perfect at this, but as we learn these communication skills, we can do our best to slowly apply them to different conversations and notice the difference in the conversation and how it goes when we really do try to see things from the other person's perspective and try to put ourselves in their shoes and try to Again, focus on with listening with the intent to hear them out rather than with the intent to defend yourself and your standpoint. I sure hope that these things have been super helpful. I know they, I know it's been helpful for me. It's actually been really like good for me to go over these notes and these, um, just little things that we can do to make conversation better because I know I can always do better in the way I communicate my feelings towards my family, my friends, um, acquaintances, neighbors, all the things, right? It's, it's just so important to do the best that we can do to create good, create good communication skills. Say that five times fast. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Tongue twister. Anyway, it's important for all of us to do our best to create conversation in a peaceable way, and then really strive to see the other person's perspective in doing so. We will have a lot more, um, a lot more friendships and a lot more relationships with our family members that are positive and uplifting and enjoyable where joy is brought more to our home because we are trying to be there for the other person in every way that we know how. So I think that can be super beneficial. Well, it is the end of our episode today. Thank you so much for listening. Um, I hope you've enjoyed these five ways on how to ignite your spiritual momentum and then those extra six little principles that can help you out with principle number five. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, go ahead and head on over to Instagram where we have lots of posts and reels and videos and different things, stories, 
on all things mom life that you can think of from time management and productivity down to motherhood, parenting, home life, and family life, whatever it is and everything in between, right? Um, and also at, on Facebook at the High Five Motherhood Mamas group, we also have a group there where you can comment and talk about different things that are going on in between each episode. So thank you so much for listening. I hope to see you there on Instagram or Facebook. And until next time, have an awesome week. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Well, ladies, that about sums it up for this week. <laughs> As always, I'm cheering for you and I'm here for you. I want to help you and support you to do your very best. This is your host, Kim Montgomery, and you are listening to High Five Motherhood. Thanks so much for listening, ladies, and we'll see you next time.